Good morning, everybody. We um, are going to be doing things a little bit differently today, and we're going to be speaking about marriage. And uh, I've learned long ago, as a man, if you speak about marriage, it always helps to have a woman who can speak with you, preferably your wife. That 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 also helps. Um, and we're going to be digging in. And over the past few weeks, we've been looking at uh, the book of Ephesians, and we've been going chapter by chapter. And today, uh, we are on... Ephesians chapter 5. And so we're going to be talking about uh, manhood and womanhood, marriage and family, and uh, dig into the scriptures and and what that means for us uh, today in our culture when there's a lot of uh, confusion. Um, And there's maybe a lot of just even different experiences that we have that it's it's hard to make sense out of how do we live out the scriptures in light of today's uh, culture and maybe some of the mixed messages that we have. Before I get much further, I do want to introduce my special guest that I have with me this morning. Uh, this is Samantha Barrett, my wife. Hi. And uh, thank you. Yeah, that. thank you. Appreciate that. Um, Samantha and I have been married uh, 20 years this past uh, June. And uh, Sam has really been with me step by step for the whole time we've been married and specifically in ministry. She's been my teammate. Uh, as I began to sense God calling uh, to plant a church, Sam has been there really since the beginning. So without her, um, I would be a very different man, a man that you would probably not like as much as you like today, Lord willing, you like today, and that's an assumption. So is it a fact check? Do I need a fact check yet? Okay. So um, so we're going to be sharing just uh, some perspective from, from our own lives, but specifically uh, the scriptures and with the hope of how does the scriptures really guide us? And that, that's what we do every Sunday. Look into God's word. How, how does it guide us? But what I want to do is I want to set up from where we left off last week in Ephesians chapter 5 because it actually sets the right precedent and context for healthy relationships. And I think you'll see it uh, on the, the screen here. Do I have some? I do have some pictures of us. You guys want to see one of our early pictures? That was that was my slim shady. I hate that uh, picture. Sam hates that one. By the way, I just let her know this morning that I was the showing first it. First female male difference. Yeah, he yeah. He wants to pick the picture that's the most shocking, and I want one that's cute of us. Let's pray, and we're glad you guys joined us today. This is one of the earliest we have of us, and um, by the grace of God, we've come a long way, specifically in hair hairstyles. Um. And then that is us this past summer. I'm getting choked up. And that, and that one I love. <laughs> and she does love that one. Um, but we've been blessed with three children, Katie, Levi, and Jude. And so uh, we are a family unit that's really trying to, to do God's will. And uh, by us being up here, um, it seems very official. And there's a certain officialness of anyone who speaks from the stage. Uh, but we are definitely a family that messes up every day. And you see a picture like that, just like most of us have pictures and it's all together. And especially if you post it on social media, it's like all pretty and clean. Uh, But family life is very messy and it's hard. Parenting is hard, marriage is is very hard. And so today we don't come as experts without problems. Uh, We come really on the grace of God and how he's helped us. And our kids will testify that that grace of God is real as well. And uh, we're all a work in progress at the Barrett home. So I say that, uh, not flippantly, but in a real way, uh, we're all on the same page there. Um, but I do want to set up the scriptures from where we left off last week, and it's Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. And Paul is giving instructions to set up what we're going to talk about today. And I think it's on there, and it says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So verses 18 through 21, Paul is laying a foundation for how the family life should flow, how marriage should work, for how children should relate to their parents. And he even goes further in chapter six and talks about even how you should conduct yourselves at work. And there's a few indicators here that I think is necessary for all healthy relationships, and we need to focus on that. Uh, The first is, if you want to experience good relationships, you need to be filled 
with the Holy Spirit. So what we're talking about today, roles in marriage and the scriptures are really applied to people who decided to follow Jesus. People who've decided that I don't wanna just do things my own way, I wanna be filled with the Holy Spirit. And an indicator of being filled with the Holy Spirit is that you soak God's word into your life and you do what it says. And you get the Holy Spirit as soon as you decide to follow Jesus Christ at conversion, you, you get the full Holy Spirit. But to be full of him means you, you, you're obedient, you're, you're staying connected, you're keeping in step with the Holy Spirit through that obedience from his word. The second indicator is to be filled with God's word and the joy that comes from the truth. You could see that we're supposed to speak to each other in a certain way in these songs and hymns and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And the idea is that God's word is so soaked into your, your life in a way that that truth transforms the way you see life. It gives you great joy. It gives you an outlook that's supernatural in a way. It's not of your own. It's not from this world. And that's how we should be communicating with each other. And then third, being thankful uh, for what you've been given in Christ. Foundation of any healthy relationship is thankfulness. And that's true for marriage, and it's true for parenting, true for every relationship. And then the last is the command to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Out of what he has done to make community possible, what he's done to make relationships possible, healthy relationships, out of respect for him, we want to put each other's goals and interests above our own. Out of his reverence of, of who he is. And so... That brings us today um, to the passage that we're going to read in a moment. But I want to set up a little bit of talking about gender and talking about the context of manhood and womanhood because I do believe there's a lot of confusion. That the confusion of all relationships is usually the assumption of what can this person do for me. That's usually the question we all have. It's what can this person do for me? How will they help me with my goals instead of that mutual submission to Christ? How can we, in view of Christ and what he's done, help each other? So most of the time, if a relationship is self-seeking first, it will crumble over time. And we don't have to look far in our culture to see that. In fact, we don't have to look far in our lives. We, we see that uh, as well. And so Paul, as he's describing that in verse 18, He's, he's helping us to see that these things are, are really important. And this topic of gender and manhood is very important. And it's easy to, to get uh, muddled. So I have a question for Sam, just that we're both going to kind of share. In light, before we get to the scriptures, just what are some things that, that you see um, in how culture defines what being a woman is all about? Maybe some of the mixed messages there. Yeah, um, I think it's kind of twofold. Uh, on one hand, women are seen as a sexual object, and their worth and value comes from uh, what they can display uh, in that realm. And they're also often seen as controlling and manipulative in relationships, uh, kind of a hag, someone you have to put up with or please... Uh, you know, to, just to get them to shut up sometimes is, is the thought there. Um, and then on the other hand as well, um, there, there seems to be a movement in our culture that has been going on for some time that um, women should become manlike in their pursuit of success in, or a career. And so instead of um, embracing their femininity, they're encouraged in the workplace to kind of put on the same persona as a man in order to get ahead and um, have success and be in control. Um, and how would you describe a man according to culture? First off, you got to talk really low. No, it, it's, it's actually, um, and I'll speak to the men because I think probably men feel that, but it's actually a very difficult time to be a man in our culture. Um, most men are suspect. And when you look at the news, there's a lot of that that can make sense. Men can do terrible things. Uh, so I think there's a lot of people that look at men 
especially men in authority, as being a suspect. And kind of like you shared the extreme, I think there's another extreme with men that they're either uh, domineering in an authority or completely passive and entertainment focused. Like just playing games, having fun, um, kind of following the, the whims. And so I think they're either domineering and suspect or can't be taken seriously because um, they just want to play, have fun, almost like being a little boy. So um, the fact of the matter is, is we're also in a time, and this isn't talked much, but I'm going to talk about it. And gender is actually something, and this brings to the, some, like the first context of what we're going to talk about. Before we can dig into Ephesians 5, we actually need to set some things up because I think there's a lot of confusion. The first thing you'll see is a gender is designed by God. It's not a social construct. God has actually decided if you're a man, that you would be a man from the beginning of time. That's who you are. He decided that. And not only did he decide that you would be a man, he decided that you would be a man that's born in this time. So you're, you're actually here on purpose. And if you're a woman, it's the same. God did not make you a man. He made you a woman. And he wanted you to be that woman in all of her beauty, just like he wants to be that man in all of his beauty as well, created by God. But we're living in a time where it seems like gender is something you can decide. And it's very serious. And it's also being you know, supported and taught in schools. So you have multiple minds that are very impressionable that really don't have an accurate concept, biblical concept of gender. We have to talk about this because to talk about biblical roles and ignore gender really sets us up for a lot of confusion. And in the church, it also sets up the younger generation to not sure how they could fit into a church that believes there are gender designed and assigned by God. So I want to go back to the beginning in Genesis, Genesis 1.27. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. He's talking about Adam, the first male. And then it goes on and says, male and female, he created them. Purpose and identity. From the beginning of time, from the first man and woman, God created. That phrase, the, the creation from God, is so important because that shows God who's intentional, who does things on purpose, and actually has you and me in mind. It makes us tremendously unique. Because not only you're a man or you're a female, but you have your own personality born into a unique family in a unique place in this time. So there's a tremendous value to your life and what God intends to do in it. But that doesn't take away value. It, it actually adds a great deal. Uh, in Genesis, it goes on. Genesis 2, verses 20, it says, The man, so now God has given Adam the job of, of naming everything. And at this time, uh, he doesn't have a helper. It's, it's Adam by himself. Adam was created first. And it says, The man gave names to all livestock, and to the birds of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, for some of you, if you grew up in church, you may be, this is the creation story. This is the very beginning of man and woman. But it's very important for us to revisit this because this actually impacts roles in marriage. And it impacts how we operate as male or as female. And I want to just talk a little bit about uh, Adam's role and what that means for, for men. Literally, Adam's name means the ground. And if you're a guy, that's like not the most inspiring. 
your name means ground. Uh, but it actually shows just to remind him of where he comes from and his focus. He was taken from dust. He will return there. Uh, Adam was a farmer and a gardener. That's the role that he played. Farmers mark out land and they make it their own by producing food. Uh, this is what men do. We, we work the land. They mark out their part of the world and work it to produce something good. That's part of our, our vision for our life. Uh, this is what we're made to do. It, it defines a manhood to the core. How do we take something and produce something from it? How do we make a difference in the world? That's at the heart of a man. It defines us to the core, and it takes uh, strength and courage to do this, especially since the fall, when sin entered, because it became a lot more difficult. And Eve is the life giver. That's what the name Eve means. God took Eve from the body of the man. She came from the body of the man, and others would be given life from her. Notice how connected she is to others from the very beginning. This is a clue to her makeup. She gives life to others by attracting a man who connects with her, and life comes from this connection. Connection is very important to the core of a woman. It is uh, a core of our femininity. Here's just a brief summary. A man, uh, men are made to go out into the world with humble, competent intention to do good. Now, what we're talking about is God's intent. Now, have you read any of these things so far? And you're like, that's not my experience. You start looking around you. It's easy to do that. But what we're talking about is really God's intent uh, with creation. Men are also made to accomplish something significant in a resistive, comp uh, competitive environment. Boys and girls are wired differently. You guys know that. If you have boys and girls, you know that. But they're very different in the way that they even relate. Boys want to do that like, we're buds and I will wrestle you and pin you to the floor. Girls, for the most part, don't do that. They want to have conversations and connect with each other. You'll describe a little bit more of that. We experienced that last night at my son's birthday party because they had a full-on balloon war, water balloon war, and my daughter was there with me, and we're both to the side watching it. Alex is in the mix laughing and getting riled up with them, and Katie and I are off to the side and going, ooh, ee, uh. and then my daughter goes, my feelings are getting hurt just watching this, and it, it was very accurate. We were very uncomfortable <laughs> And it was awesome. <laughs> Balloons were just coming off of people's faces, exploding, watering Not the good. grass. Um, women are made to invite others into their world and into relationship. They build networks of relationships that strengthen and encourage others. Hence, us worrying about the relational side of the game last night. Now, as we talk about those general you know, movement forward as a man and as a woman, um, it seems like, okay, and, and everything works. But as you look at maybe your own marriage or you look at family in general, you look in our culture, uh, things again are very muddled. There's a lot of frustration in marriage. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of uh, just each spouse wanting the other to do what they think they should do. And oftentimes those aren't in the same page. So what we want to talk about is this was God's intent. Adam and Eve created to do his purposes. But if you go further in the creation story, they rebelled against God. They sinned. And that sin actually impacted their very core, their identity. It also impacted the way that they go about their roles, the way that they relate to each other. And that's what sin does. It rocks us to this day, as it always has, to our very core. And so, Sam, why don't you kind of share just some of the clues and the curse specifically for, for women? Yeah, for women, the curse was aimed at relationships. Um, she experiences frustration in relationships, particularly with her husband. Uh, and then I would even add with her children, her household. Um, and so some examples of this is just um, there, there can be some fighting for control, 
nagging uh, to get what they want. She She's trying to figure out how to relate with her husband and how to get things done. Um, and then also, because women are so entwined in relationships, when there is relational tension that they are experiencing, it's it's almost like they can't move on with their day or with their life while that exists. And so, um, whereas a man, although he's bothered by that, can, can maybe put that in a compartment and then go to work and achieve things that he needs to achieve, a woman is in angst until and unless that relationship um, becomes cleared up and healthy again. So practically, men, have you ever had a situation where you look at your wife and you see her body language and the fact that the conversation is not there quite as much and she seems upset and you have no idea why. Now, men, I just asked you a question that takes a lot of risk. So you don't have to say it verbally. You could just wink your left eye. You could raise your thumb just very low off the, off the chair. But that's what happens to guys. Most of the time, we're clueless relationally. We're like, I think there's a problem, and maybe I should say sorry, but I don't know what I'm saying sorry for. If she asks what for, I'm in big trouble, so it's not worth it. That's a lot of times how it goes. There's just this relational dynamic that's happening because of the identity of a woman, and the guy is not focused on the same thing. So for us, part of the curse is not within us in the same way, although it's impacting us, it, it, it impacts the world around us. And specifically because we're made to produce and make something meaningful and make a difference in the world, our curse is focused as grinding frustration in his work. So women, if you ever know some of the hardest times for your husband is when his work is not going well. Now, we can have that in relationships. It's not like we're, we're unsensitive or insensitive to that. But if a man feels like he's not making a difference in his work, that it's a waste of his time, that he's not being appreciated for the effort that he's, being put, you know, that he's putting forth, that actually strikes core at a man. And you'll find men with great strength that don't want to get out of bed. Because our work is so frustrating that we don't want to do it. And then we start kind of being slack-handed. We start pulling back. And you can really see that becomes a hollow, you know, of, of a man. So all of that, gender is designed by God. He's made us who we are on purpose. He gave Adam and Eve specific roles, which translate to today in our identity. And then we have sin and the curse that messes all that up. So all of what we talked about so far is within the context of how we can make sense out of Paul's instruction to the church in Ephesus. And his instruction is not meant to just stay in the first century. The scriptures are used to guide us today. God speaks through the authors and they're inspired and they're for us to learn and to live our life on. And so I want to read through this. This is a big chunk. But again, it will help to see it within all the context. So let's pick up in Ephesians 5, 22. If you have your scripture journal, you can read through that. It starts with verse 22 after he says we should submit to each other. And then he says in verse 22, wives, submit, that means to place under, to your own husbands as the Lord. Uh, God is the ultimate authority. And so when it says submit to your husband as the Lord, uh, you do not want to submit to a husband who is causing you to sin and is going against the will of God. So it says, submit to your husbands as the Lord. Your ultimate authority, if you're a woman and a wife, is God. He's your ultimate authority. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And then Paul shifts, verse 25, to husbands. says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing 
of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So Paul is telling husbands to do what Christ has done for the church, but then he spends the rest of that section talking about what Christ did. And that's important. And what he's saying is, is, is husbands, part of you loving your wife like Christ loved the church is, is you lay your life down so she can thrive. You lay your very life down so she can thrive. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one hated his own flesh, but nourishes. Nourishes there means to provide, to take care of. And cherish, and cherishes it. So he's saying, husbands, you should cherish your wife. It means that your wife has access to your heart and will get to know you like no one else will. She'll get to see a tender side. She'll get to see a vulnerable side. You open up to her. You you let her into your heart. That's what it means to cherish. Just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Verse 31 is speaking of the sacrifice. There's somebody that needs to leave. It's the husband. You leave. You leave what's comfortable for you. You sacrifice for your wife. And then 32, the mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So he's speaking about marriage and church at the same time. And again, the mystery of the church that he's described in Ephesians chapters 1 through 4 is a mystery of how does it work? How can people so divided become unified? And I love the analogy he's weaving in between marriage and the church. And it's the same principle. How can a woman and a man so different and divided because of the curse, how can they become one? How can they be unified? So he's speaking of this mystery of the church, but using the same application for the mystery of marriage. Then he says in, in 33, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And here, as he's speaking about husbands and wives, both are equal, but he's speaking of this complementary roles. And then he goes on to children. So children, if you're under the authority of your parents, Paul's instruction is children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So notice what Paul is doing. He gives instructions to all Christians in the beginning, verses 18 through 21. Verses 22, he starts his instructions to wives specifically. And then he goes and gives instruction to husbands. It's very important because the instructions are not the same. So again, that's why there's differences in the roles that men and women play. I think Sam is going to describe that. Just the reality of... Uh, men and women and their their differences. If my notes are right. Oh, yeah, here they are. Okay. So the reality of men and women is that there is a design and purpose in the differences between men and women. We are complementary opposites, and we attract each other because we need help, but we also repel each other because we need God's help first and then the help of each other underneath the umbrella of God's help. So what, what Paul is saying is uh, there, there's fundamental differences, and he's prescribing what those are, a woman's role and a man's role. And that comes within the context of even the creation story, which we've already covered. But he is saying that the reason this instruction is so important is because there are going to be major differences And if you've been married for any length of time, you know that that's true. And so part of this instruction is actually very sobering because it is so easy to repel. A man can repel a woman and a woman can repel a man just by the fundamental differences of how God made you. Then you add in sin and that repelling is just increased even more. So what Paul is saying is, is let's, Let's not act like men 
are women and women are men. That's not true. Because it's designed and created by God. Differences. But let's focus on how the two uh, can complement each other. And so I want to talk a little bit of masculinity. Because, again, there's, there's confusion. And for husbands, at the heart of mature masculinity is a sense of benevolent uh, responsibility. Uh, when, when Paul says, you, you are the head, oftentimes that can come to mean that you are the ultimate authority and the driver of everything that should happen. Actually, the head means really you're the first uh, to sacrifice. And you're the first to be responsible. So if you know the creation story and the sin story, Adam and Eve sinned. Who did God go to first? He went to Adam. What have you done? He was ultimately responsible. That's actually what it means to be head of the house. It's not just in an authoritative figure. It's actually when somebody needs to be responsible, the husband is the one who's responsible. So what that means for me practically, when I meet with Jesus... And he asked me about my marriage. When he asked about my family, he's going to come to me first. I'm going to have to give an account first. That's my role. Just like Adam did. And so at the heart is just this benevolent responsibility to lead, to provide for, and to protect women in ways appropriate to a man's differing relationships. So obviously, I'm describing the relationship that I have with Sam the relationship I have with Sam is unique. I don't have that relationship with anybody else. I still lead in different capacities, obviously in the church. But in my relationship with Sam, it's to lead to provide and protect her and my children. And I need to lay my life down to make that happen. That's at the heart. Uh, for me and all men, if you're the husband, uh, we are responsible for the relationship like I've described. Uh, you also are supposed to take initiative to do what's right. It's easy as men to be passive. I think that's part of the curse because of frustration. But men, our role is to take the initiative. We should actually take the initiative to pursue our wives. And we take the initiative to do what's right. We take the initiative to clean up if there's a mess up, there's sin. And sacrificially, we're, we're responsible to love our wife like Christ loved the church. So for women, I know the word submit can land very heavy, right? Nobody wants to say anything. Everyone's just like, we'll just let you guys talk and we'll listen, right? But, but if you think of the idea of sacrifice like Christ loved the church, I know how much Christ loved the church. I can never add measure up to that but with God's help I can sacrifice and I can love Sam with that same type of love where I'm not looking out for my own interests just like Christ did laying my life down and my faith struggle and husbands your faith struggle will be the trust that God won't rip you off as you sacrifice yourself uh, for her needs for your family's needs and to do what's right according to God's word so our faith struggle is as we sacrifice, as we lay down our life, will God take care of us? Will he give us what we need? Sam, you want to describe femininity? Yeah, and at the heart of mature femininity is a green disposition to affirm, to receive, and nurture. And we receive strength and leadership from worthy men. And this is, of course, in ways appropriate to a woman's differing relationships. So wives in marriage, God has assigned you the role that the, that the church has with Christ. You are to entrust yourself to your husband as he leads in the direction that is pleasing to God. You are to give him respect, understanding that God holds him ultimately responsible. So your faith struggle, wife, and my faith struggle is trusting that God will take care of us as we follow our husband's lead. So we choose to submit and uh, with an attitude of, I'm going to partner with you and affirm your leadership. 
Now again, these are not, not done perfectly. There's many times where I'm called to sacrifice like Christ, but I don't really want to. And I maybe don't. And there's going to be times when Sam can affirm my leadership and maybe she doesn't and she wants to lead. And so what happens is it's easy to get into, again, the seeking of our own interests or what we want. And so all of this comes under the umbrella of this self-sacrificing love. What the scriptures define as agape love. This is Christ's love. And that really is what weaves the family together. And that's the same love that should weave the church. It's this love that we trust as we do what God says, even if it's difficult, as we do the hard thing, uh, he, he's going to take care of us. Uh, he's going to help us uh, in, our, in our time uh, of need. And it's difficult. It's not easy. Um, because this love, it costs us. Tomorrow morning when I wake up, for the most part, I'm not going to be thinking, how can I love Sam this morning? How can I lay my life down for her and the kids? You know what I'm going to be thinking? Where's the coffee first? What's for breakfast? What all do I have on my plate? What's this week going to look like? What do I need to focus on? It's you know, Usually it's just very self-centered. But with God's help, as we look to him and we're filled with the spirit, we can look and say, you know what, God, I have a unique role to play in my family. How can I play that, that role well? So we just want to end with some, just a little bit of open sharing. And so I'm going to ask some questions to Sam, and then Sam will ask some questions uh, for me. So the first one I have for you, hun, is what are some unique challenges for biblical womanhood that you're seeing in our culture? And then what are some lies or messages that make being a woman hard? Um, I think a couple things that come to mind uh, is they uh, competing for power with men. Um, it, I, I kind of mentioned it earlier, but there just seems to be this push for um, instead of complementary, it's competitiveness. It's, and it's like a dog-eat-dog mentality. It's trying to gain power over men fighting for control and authority and success instead of um, working toward them and doing it in a way where it's like a man. So, for instance, one of the things that um, my, my family likes to watch action movies together, and we often, you know, we're all of these newer movies that have come out in the last, I don't know, decade or so, um, It usually the hero is a woman. And she's beating the tar out of, like, 20 buff, huge guys all at once. And she's doing it by herself, and, and they're all on the floor when she's done. And as a family, we just kind of chuckle at that because it's, it's actually really quite absurd to think that this one woman can do that. And that's not to say that women can't be strong and they can't, you know, help out in a battle. But for every movie to have that theme, it it shows that our culture is trying to um, really portray a woman as the same as man. In other words, instead of what the Bible says, which he created one and then another as different but complementary, uh, what culture is trying to tell us is there's just one. There's one human, and we're fighting for is it going to be female or male? And so instead of really celebrating the differences, we're powering and, and kind of aggressively fighting over um, for power and for control. And not just even male or female, it's something else. We're seeing that as well. Um, and then lastly, and I'll talk more about this with the next question, but um, a, a unhealthy focus on self-care at the cost of others goes against how God created women for relationships. And then the second question, uh, anytime we share like this, it can land heavy because of our own experiences and maybe how we don't measure up. And like I shared, we, we've had our own struggles, but can you share a time when 
you were discouraged in playing the role God has designed you to play and then what what helped you press on yeah I mean I think discouragement is a common battle um partly because I'm I'm selfish and the the main role that God has given me is is one of nurturer and um to cultivate relationships and so what that means is in my marriage and then particularly with my children that's no matter what else I'm doing outside of the home, that's my main focus. And that's where I feel um, the most rewarded or not. And so um, what that means practically is that I, I'm just kind of working in the mundane often. I, you know, the way that I nurture is I care for, I serve my family. Um, you know, I, instead of just getting my way or fighting for my way, I'm really working to help my family be successful and caring for them. And so um, for me, I can get bogged down with that and just kind of feel frustrated um, and like, what am I doing? I remember early on uh, when our our oldest, our daughter had been born, um, it was just hard. She cried all the time. I felt ill-equipped. And I remember very distinctly um, the first day that Alex left to go to work and I remember walking to the door with him holding my screaming daughter and I i mean I, I felt such bitterness and resentment toward him I, I was like that this isn't fair I don't want to be stuck here with this baby who's crying and I want to go to I work I didn't turn back I just left and I said don't turn around you got to keep going he was glad to get out of there too. Um, but it's that type of stuff where, so for me, what, what I have to remember is number one, um, getting with wise women has been absolutely crucial for me because the, what, what the truth is, is that God, um, he works a very long term game and I'm included in that. But our culture is fast, fast, fast. We want things fixed immediately. We want to eat right now. It's We have a need and a desire, and we immediately fulfill it. Um, but God doesn't work that way. And especially relationally, life does not work that way. It takes time to build relationships. It takes time to cultivate and fix relationships. And so I have to keep reminding myself of the long-term perspective of what I'm working for. And then really buckle down in the just the grind of it all and be faithful there so that over time the track record is built and and there is fruit in that and so pairing up with other women who are committed to the same um, godly womanhood and getting help from wise women is has been really helpful for me and encouraging me to just keep pressing on what do you, do you have just any other closing thoughts just specifically for the women of this church as, as we're committed to doing community together uh, this isn't just our marriage our marriages are connected to all of you who are married and all the families are we're connected to each other that's what makes a community a community so any just closing thoughts to the women of Ridgeview yeah I think just um just a reminder to accept your identity, value, and worth from the Lord. Um, he's the one who has created us on purpose. He loves us. He has a, a special design that he had in mind when he created us. Um, and that that truth applies to us no matter what our life situation is, whether we're single, whether we're married to someone who maybe isn't walking with the Lord or who doesn't seem to be leading um, it doesn't matter what our situation is. Ultimately, we are we are under the Lord who is, is in complete control and he is doing everything right. And so we can submit ourselves under him and then trust as we move forward in obedience. Thanks. Thanks for sharing. I think you were going to ask me a couple questions, yeah? Yeah. So can you share a time when you were discouraged in trying to play the role God has designed you to play? And what helped you press? So there's been a few spots in my own life um, 
again, discouragement comes whether you're male or female. Discouragement comes if you're human. Uh, but for me, I've been discouraged in some key times where I just felt like the joy was taken out of my life. Um, that can kind of sound dramatic, but I don't know if you've ever been there where you just feel like, especially as a man, I was waking up and I was just going through the motions and I felt like what I was doing was not making a difference. Like I wasn't good enough in most of the areas that I was playing. I felt like I wasn't making the right progress. And I actually physically felt like what felt like this hand on my forehead. And for a period of about a week, I felt pressured that it was literally somebody was like stiff arming me. And it was just like this, this push to just try to keep, uh, keep going. And so it was, it was a big, big struggle of just uh, having no feelings of joy, but yet try to keep moving on. And so I, what helped me press on was I just shared with Sam like the struggle. Uh, oftentimes, things are happening within me and most men for a long time. Men, you could be feeling things for years and your wife will hear seven years later, you know, something that, that can be normal. Uh, but what's helped me press on is like, as the internal struggle is happening to try to let you in, you know, to, to that. And Sam began to pray uh, just that this discouragement would be taken away and she had other people pray and then I'd open up to some other men just I, I need prayer I'm really struggling to find joy I'm very discouraged I feel like I'm, my progress is being limited and then uh, one morning God brought a word to me from Nehemiah and it says the joy of the Lord is your strength I remember at that moment I quoted the pressure that I had on my forehead just came off. And I just, I had these like tears of joy, like the joy was back. And I'm sure it was spiritual in nature. There were some things going on and just that, the grind. But I remember realizing that like this was not a battle that I had to face alone and to bring Sam into it and to bring others and then to come to the realization that it is the joy of the Lord is your strength, especially when you can't find joy yourself. And so I think that's been a key just through different different moments. We can just go to question three, I think, because okay. of time. What are some closing thoughts to the men of this church? Yeah, uh, men, I love you. Thank you. Um, like I said, it... it it's very difficult to be a man in our culture and it's very difficult to be a man because of what's inside of us because it's easy in a resistive environment as a sin to pull back and be passive and men for the most part when they're confused means that we're going to be incompetent and if we're going to be incompetent we don't want to do it and so there's a scripture that's been a real helpful help for me, and I'm going to just pray this over us. And it's not on the screen, so you're going to have to listen. But it's 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14. And this is my prayer for us. Paul says, be watchful, which means to stay alert. So men, we need to pay attention. And he says, stand firm in the faith. That means we need to hold the line of God's ways. We need to hold the line of what's right with his help. We don't stand firm in ourselves, but we stand firm in the faith. And Paul tells us to act like men. The men of Ridgeview, we, we need to be courageous. We need to stand up for what's right. And regardless of how we feel, we need to move forward with courage. Paul says to be strong, and that is to trust God will come through. And it's the strength of experience. that when God comes through, that's the strength in us to trust him more. When God comes through again, it should give us more strength to trust him more. And that's how it goes on. In verse 14, it says, let all that you do be done in love. And so, men, this is really calling forward for us. 
to be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let all that we be done be done in love. So that's my prayer for you men as we band together. Uh, thank you, Samantha, for sharing this morning. Uh, you can give her a hand. She doesn't usually do this, but I appreciate uh, her perspective and, and the help. Uh, anytime you talk about marriage, you talk about roles, it can be discouraging. And um, we realize that. And so if you'd like to talk more, if you'd like some resources, if you'd just like some help, uh, let us know. We'll be by the next step table uh, at the end of the service. Uh, I'm going to pray. And as we do that, the band will be coming up. We'll be receiving our offering and we'll be closing up the service. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gift of marriage and just the gift of manhood and womanhood and the uniqueness that you made us and the help that you give us. We are not alone. You are our creator who loves us, who knows us, and who's designed us to have a specific purpose in this world. So God, we submit to you. We surrender to your ways. We ask for your help to live out the roles that you've given us. I pray specifically for the marriages in this church that you'll strengthen them. I pray for the men to be able to act like men and for the women to be able to act like women. And God, through our differences, how we complement each other, the families within this church will be strengthened and our impact will be multiplied. I pray for anyone here who's struggling in their marriage, who's disillusioned, pray you'll bring them comfort and their next step of help. God, I pray for people here that want to be married and are not yet. God, I pray that you'll provide them a partner, a teammate, that will come alongside them to do your will. And all things we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.